Start your day right with daily immune support plus extra strength 5-hour energy. It contains all the great 5-hour energy shot ingredients plus added vitamins and nutrients like zinc, vitamin D3, and vitamin C to help support the immune system. It comes in three great flavors, ultra orange, pineapple apricot, and pink watermelon. All this comes in a convenient portable bottle that takes just seconds to drink. No mixing required. Daily immune support plus extra strength 5-hour energy. Get it today at your local Harris Teeter. And we're back with breaking news. The new Coke Zero Sugar might be the best Coke ever. That's right, Jim. With an improved taste and zero calories, make sure... Jim. Ooh, yes. This tastes like the best Coke ever to me. We're on the air. I need to try it first. Con cero azúcar y ahora mucho más rica. ¿Será que la nueva Coca-Cola Zero Sugar es la mejor de todas? Descúbrela. Last but definitely not least, we have part three of our interviews from CPAC 2018. We have three interviews with Lawrence Jones, Ruben with the Electronic Software Association, and an extended interview with Andrew Wilkow of Sirius XM and CRTV. So with all that, let's get it started. Part three of our interviews from CPAC 2018. This is Trend Chat. I'm your host, Brian Bledsoe. And if you want to connect with us, whether on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, it's all the same name, Trend Chat 24-7. And I write for politichicks.com. If you want to read some of my articles, just go to politichicks.com slash author slash Brian Bledsoe. And don't forget about the book, Politichicks Declaring Call to Political Activism, which is available on Barnes & Noble, or at Barnes & Noble, and Amazon. Contains over 300 pages with contributors like myself talking about issues from healthcare, education, etc., activism. And it's funny, every time I do this, I only mention like three issues, and it's like maybe 17, 16, 17 issues. I gotta get better at this, but <laughs> maybe I, when I do a commercial for this, I can have a more diverse number of topics. <laughs> but, uh, I guess I'm rambling about it, but um, but yeah, my contribution to the book talks about me becoming a delegate at the Republican National Convention in 2016. And as always, don't just pick up one book. I mean, you can't pick up one book. Pick up four, five, a hundred. I mean, it's your money. If you wanna, <laughs> you wanna get a hundred, that's great. So, I tell you, folks. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I don't know if y'all can hear it in my. <laughs> in my voice but um this is one of those days you know trench has been on for over a year now and this is the first day where i didn't feel like recording <laughs> uh, i was yeah i don't know i got like allergies going on right now 
I know from the previous episode, if that if you listen to it, thank you. But in that episode where I mentioned, I think I mentioned one time that I don't know if I sound nasally. Oh, did I not know what was coming up the next day? That was like a, I guess the preclude to what was about to happen <laughs> that you know today. So yeah, I'm so I'm all stuffy. I don't even know how I sound right now. I probably sound weird to y'all. I don't know. Or maybe I sound better. Maybe you're like, hey, y'all to be like this all the time. I don't know. But um, that being said, I'm, I'm going to power through it because I definitely want to get this episode out. And also, given it's the last one, so hopefully I will feel better by next Tuesday or next Thursday at least. So, you know, also, well, it's kind of a comfort too knowing that I don't um have to talk that much because I'm playing the interviews from last week so that's that's great too so one thing I did want to mention before I get to the interviews is that just overall I I don't I don't know how how you feel uh whoever listening about when it comes to disagreements within your own party or just you know someone you may be a a, a supporter of or not, even if it's, if it's a politician or or a group um i'm just thinking about cpac in particular where i've been going the past three years and every year there was always something that people you know, somebody didn't agree with and that's you know can we're not all going to agree on everything there's all there's going to be some point of contention somewhere and and in thinking about that with um with CPAC also I'm just thinking about what the kind of the remarks president Trump um the president made I think yesterday about due process and I mean, this is not the first thing I've disagreed with the president on, but just hearing that in particular, like really perked my ears up because t- to hear the president basically kind of want to push, push aside due process just because of just, I guess, just because of what has happened in Florida, um, you know, well, let me, let me go back, I guess if y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but, um, there was a meeting, I guess either yesterday, uh, or two days ago. I actually don't remember off the top of my head, but they were just talking about, uh, mental health issues and guns basically. And it was a bipartisan meeting of members of Congress and the president was there. And there were a number of things. It was a, it wasn't like just one thing that he said, but it's this one quote that he said about, due process kind of really got everyone's attention especially you know if if you're a conservative and so he was just mentioning about someone who has mental health problems and how to i guess to to take away their take away their firearms um before they do harm and so in that he what a quote he said is um like take away the guns take the guns away first and then do uh, then do process um second or later um 
And I can't disagree with that anymore. <laughs> like, I really, you know, can't agree with that. We can't let a tragedy that has happened, uh, whether we're talking about Parkland or talking about Las Vegas, we can't let any of these tragedies, whether it's about guns or take your pit. We can't have the this emotional appeal to further erode our liberty, our our constitution. And I feel like we are slowly going that direction. Um regardless of what um is being done with the NRA or you know gun owners of America or the National Gun Rights um association. Um like I, I feel like we are just slowly eroding our freedom away. And this is not something new. It's not like it just happened. This has been going on for over a hundred years, probably. Um, it's at least 50 years where we're just basically becoming more comfortable with safety as opposed to liberty. We've become complacent and just taken the freedom that we have in this country for granted to the point to where we're just willing to, we're going to get to the point where we just be willing to just give up our guns. Some, well, the the majority <laughs> would be, and it's going to get to a point to where we just, I don't know. I'm not saying it's going to happen like tomorrow, but this slow erosion is going on and it's, and something like this just contributing to that. So you can disagree. I mean, people do disagree with that. So with the president, even the most ardent supporter of the president or, or, or of anyone can disagree with that person because I'm not going to agree a hundred percent of the time. So if you disagree, make your voice known and maybe you, you definitely have a better chance of influencing the decision <laughs> than if you had a president Clinton. So you have that. Now I want to keep on rambling. So like I said, you know, I don't even know how I even sound saying that. So let's get to our first interview with Lawrence Jones and he'll tell you everything about campus reform. So here we go. Here with the Lawrence Jones third. Now I'm gonna say that because last time we talked, I said the Lawrence Jones. You said what? What did you say last year? LBJ three. No, no, no. Last year you said why you said that? Yeah, why do you say that? Now, okay, now I said that, but now I remember a couple of months ago. I saw a little Facebook Live, uh -huh. and you and someone said D. Lawrence Jones. And you said yeah, yeah. I like, oh, oh, I said oh, oh. Now he's oh, oh. Now he's just gonna take take that. Okay, all right. <laughs> I, I evolved on this. <laughs> you don't know, have to get a political answer. No, it's all good, bro. Yeah. So um, you have now taken up so the, what the editor in chief position yeah, at campus reform all right tell us all about it. you know it's crazy because i've been doing tv a lot and um, you know i was an activist at one point i did investigative journalism and you know there's a war going on on the college campuses today conservative students are being silenced 
there's a liberal media that is unfair. And so when I, I was brought the position to be the editor-in-chief, it was something that I didn't take lightly. I prayed about it. Uh, I talked to my mentors about it. And I feel like that it was the right direction for me, like where God had me to be. And uh, I'm excited to help the next generation of journalists. We have over 90 uh, correspondents across the country, and they report on things that the mainstream media won't report on. Now, now I know you mentioned about praying over the decision. Now, I know one of those things you had to pray over is the fact that you had to move. Oh, man, I was not happy about that. You know, I've been in Texas my whole life. I was born and raised in Dallas, and uh, now I'm moving to D.C. in about three weeks. And it's tough, man, but I feel like it's that time for that move. I'll be eventually coming back to Texas, but for right now, I feel like God has me here to do work, and I'm going I'm to try not to get consumed by the swamp, you know? That's exactly what I'm about to ask. Like, you, you got to watch out now. You got to gotta make sure you have that, you know, that shield up. Well, I decided to, you know, to do the go the Virginia route because I can at least keep my guns, you know. Uh, the state, you know, I'm not used to a state tax because in Texas we don't have a state tax. Um, you know, it's going to take some adjusting to get used to because I'm a Texan to the day I die. But um, I got a truck before I left. Um, and so I'm going to bring a truck down there, down here to Virginia because, you know, I got to bring a little Texas flavor with me. Well, you know, I, you know, I will offer my services to, to, to help you move. <laughs> but you know what? Actually not because I don't want you to leave. I know, brother. And I was just telling you, my dad uh, recently changed fields and now he's a truck driver as well. So y'all share the same field and... You know, I feel like it's admirable uh, what you guys do. I feel like you get to consume so much information being, uh, you know, a truck driver because you get to listen while you're driving and working and see what's happening in the world, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, the only way I'm able to do any of this is because of my job. Because, I know, I'm paying, you know, paying for flights and hotel rooms. No, none of that for me because I, I drive here and then I sleep in my truck and whatnot. So it's great, but enough about me. But, but um, So what are you looking to accomplish with campus reform? You know, I, I want our organization to go into offense. Enough of this bullying, enough of this silencing. We're going to go after stories. We're going to report on the facts. And when they try to silence us, we'll take it to court. Um, no more of this babying and crying. Up, no more of that. We're going after the story. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you're going to accomplish with our campus oh, reform. Some stuff cooking. Oh, really? We got some. I'll make sure you get a little, little exclusive when it happens. Oh, oh, all right. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now you know what? Now this is the last time. We you know we haven't spoke since last CPAC. Now, come on now. Bye, 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 yeah, no, don't maybe wait till next CPAC to have you on. I know. Now you got Christina's information, and so we can do weekly updates and monthly updates and stuff like that. Hey, so, hey, now, now don't don't say that, because you know I'm gonna be calling Christine. Christina's the, <laughs> the boss, and she make it happen, then I do it. Hi, right, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, man. Yep, and thanks to Lawrence for joining us, and you know I'm I'm gonna hold him to that. <laughs> Um, you know, and if you're listening, hold him to it. You say, hey, Lawrence, you told Brian on Trend Chat that he's going to come on. Where you, where you at? So, but yeah, I, I appreciate, appreciate Lawrence for uh, joining us. And, um, yeah, you know, moving up to D.C. 
you know, you're definitely going to need the full armor of God up there. So, so that, cause that's like you said, that swamp will get you. So, <laughs> uh, next interview is with, uh, Ruben, which uh, interviewed, I didn't expect to have, but, um, but yeah, so this kind of came out of nowhere. This was actually after CPAC was over. So here's our interview with Ruben. And then we're here from our friends with the founder project. Hello, this is Trend Chat, and well, CPAC is over now, and but I am at the 14th annual Reagan Palooza, as I was last year, and I got a guest that I actually didn't know I was going to be doing the interview with, but um, he's involved with a, a subject that's near and dear to me, which is video games. So I'm here with Ruben with the Entertainment Software Association. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? So let everyone know, what is the Entertainment Software Association? Yeah, so we lobby on behalf of video games. We represent around 37 member companies, uh, including Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, Bethesda, Blizzard Activision, uh, and we lobby on behalf of primarily IP and copyright, um, but we also promote STEM education programs and things of that sort. We love uh, to encourage more people to get into video games, especially publishing, um, and so we try and get a lot of people involved really early on, uh, and especially diversity, because we want more diversity in the video game publishing community. Now, one thing I'm thinking about is where... When you mention video games, most people just start thinking about, okay, you just sitting in front of TV, just, you know, playing video games. But a lot of this really kind of connects with uh, whether it's, uh, what do you call STEM? Right. And that's something where, that's something if you don't really, you know, think about connecting those two together, but that really are kind of, you know, coincide with one another. Exactly. So we do a lot of STEM initiative programs. I always like to bring up uh, one of... Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. So let everyone know what STEM means. <laughs> yes, of course. So STEM is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And we like to put programming in there because that's involved in all of them. And it's one of those interesting things where there's been a lot of research into STEM recently, and we found that if especially young girls are not introduced to STEM by third grade, they tend not to develop an interest in it later on in their lives. And that's an issue for us because we want the most diversity we can get in video games and in publishing them especially because diversity in the programmers leads to diversity of thought, leads to diversity of games, and that's great for us because the more games with the more ideas, the better it is because more people get involved. So we do a lot of STEM initiatives with young kids, um, and we especially try and get a lot of women and minorities and groups like that involved in programming so that we can try and hopefully foster this interest in STEM that leads on to later in life, potentially maybe they program a video game. Okay, so does the organization, I guess... I guess propose or at least I guess you can call it. I guess they lobby uh, in Capitol Hill for certain things that would promote the you know for you know STEM or you know to for those things. We do, and we also so we're actually we have five initiatives. Um, we put on E3 every year. That's what we're most well known for. But we also oh, what is E3? <laughs> E3 is the largest trade show, uh, video game trade show, um, and it's uh, famous for basically every video game announcement that comes out uh, during the year happens at E3. Um, every gamer, especially 
us look forward to E3 just because it's a ton of fun and you get to hear all about the new games and everything that people are working on. But um, So that's one of our divisions, but we do a lot of uh, federal and state lobbying on behalf of video games and IP and copyright and STEM education. We also have a foundation that does a lot of that kind of work as well. We always put on a charity called Night to Unite where we try and raise money for STEM education and things of that nature. And just in general, we try and promote STEM education because really interesting in our in our history in 2007 we fought a court case that kind of changed our major issues because 2007 video games were essentially being argued that they weren't free speech and we argued that video games are a form of art and therefore covered under free speech and so you can't say that video games influence people to do things because they're a form of art and we won that court case and since then we've kind of been able to expand our horizon to look at kind of the future of gaming rather than trying to focus on defending games in the moment. Okay, that's, you know, that was something I was going to bring up because I remember back in the day where a lot of people were using, you know, trying to say like video games were driving kids to commit violent crime. And I mean, you still hear that now, actually. Matter of fact, it came up talking about the the latest you know shooting in in florida so uh it was that was something i was going to mention so i don't have anything else to go on that i'm not the expert on that and so like i i can't speak on behalf of my company in that regard but what i can say is that you know we won this court case in 2007 it kind of changed the view there's been a ton of studies that have shown that video games don't propagate violence Nowadays, we we like to focus and bring attention to all of the good that video games have done. As far as veterans coming home, there's been a lot of research and studies, and they've now developed a lot of VR platforms to help veterans with uh, PTSD, Um, putting them into safe situations and helping them get through that. That's a huge initiative in across our board that we like to help. Um, There's medical applications. One of my favorite stories is one of my favorite games, Surgeon Simulator. Uh, So Surgeon Simulator is a cartoon surgeon simulator that is horrific in that you are not a surgeon at all. It is very difficult to control. You are picking up the medical equipment and dropping it on the floor and then you can't get it back. But it was originally developed as a realistic surgeon simulator and later it was too complicated for the PC and they found out that they could release it to the mass market and make it more of a joke in very like over the top details oh, okay. so yeah okay so um like I said we're here at you know 14th annual Reagan Palooza and y- y'all have a setup here so I guess let everyone know what y'all have here Yeah, so we have an Xbox, a PlayStation, and PlayStation 4, Xbox Xbox One, and uh, we also have a Nintendo Switch, uh, and then I actually brought my own Super Nintendo. Um, As I was walking out of the house, I figured, why not bring my own? Uh, I forgot to pick one up from our office, so I was like, I'll bring my own, because everyone loves the Super Nintendo. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, and, um, you know, getting here to play some games as a, you know, along with the party and everything else. So, you know what, Ruben, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Yep, and thanks for Ruben for joining us. Now, um, before I play the next interview, I just want to say, um, as I've gone, as well, as I said in, in the beginning of this interview, that, you know, this is a, someone 
you know, that I, I guess you could say I look up to, especially uh, when it comes to his, his opinion on political issues, especially, um, he was the first person I listened to when I was trying to formulate what, like what all, how to make all this make sense, I guess, put it that way. And where, if you don't know my story, quick, I guess a quick little story. I got involved in, I guess, involved and in getting engaged in, in politics back in early 2008. And so he was on Sirius and he just made it very clear and rational and logical about conservatism. And that, you know, I, like I said, I'm going to talk about that in the interview. So I just want to say that before and go play it from play a, something from the founder project. Then we go right into our interview with Andrew. Hello, Trend Chat fans. The Founding Project invites you to experience our latest resource to take civics to citizens, TFP's new website. Visit us at www.thefoundingproject.com. Be a part of the civics movement with The Founding Project. The Founding Project is a 501c3 education nonprofit. Join us today. Hello, this is Trent Chat, and I must say, I interviewed this gentleman last year, and I'm, I'm going to say every time I see him, I'm going to make sure I interview him, because I don't know if I told him this last year, but I tell him every time, he's like a polit- political mentor of mine, because if it wasn't for him, he probably wouldn't be hearing this this podcast at all, so, and I'm talking about Andrew Wilkow, he has a show on Sirius XM radio called The Wilkow Majority, and also has a brand new show on CRTV called Wilkow, exclamation point. How you doing? Fine, how are you? So, with the new show, I, I've, personally I've been looking forward for you to get back on TV. And so, just tell us um, about the show and where you're trying to go with it. Well, when I when I had the other TV show at the other place, I, was, I, I had never thought that I would ever do TV, right? I, I it was never, in, in college, I was a radio guy. And everyone I went to journalism school with was a TV person. They all wanted to be, you know, anchors. And it was something I never even aspired to. And then when I got the opportunity, I, I had never read Prompter. I had, it was, it was not in my wheelhouse. So I, but I figured if I wrote everything, if I wrote the show myself, if I took it upon myself to write it, based on what I ad-lib in radio, maybe I can do it. So if, if, if anything goes wrong, if I know it's, in, I know it's, I know it's, you know, there. It's the same thing with CRTVs. It's a much shorter show uh, because it's not network ready. We won't have any distribution yet. So I'm writing, you know, four to five minute monologues. We have a guest, maybe two, two topics, and then we we do a short segment called Parting Shots, and it's kind of the happy zone between network one hour show and viral video so I'm not doing the five minute viral video but I'm not doing the network show and because it's it's you know internet content you got to watch for attention spans so we're at about 20 minute 30 minute shows right now yeah I've seen the first five episodes and I mean like I said your brand of I guess conservatism as far as making it very articulate but also very simple for someone to understand it's something that really has helped me 
because that's why I mentioned before as far as for you because I listened to your radio show like years ago and you really helped me as far as understanding the conservative you know point and trying to really articulate it to someone if you if you were telling someone about it and so I'm glad that you're having this this TV show to actually even take it to another level so here's one one question I definitely want to ask you because as far as other people opinion I really respect and I and I know you're going to be as honest as possible about this and so years passed with uh, with the Trump administration and I just want to ask you I don't want to ask for grades but how do you think it's you know the whole administration as a whole has been you know I I'm gonna say a a minus slash b plus for this reason if you look at where Trump started the enemy incarnate of the the establishment, right? I mean, they said he's a progressive from New York, he's not really one of us, he's he's going to damage the brand, he's going to destroy things. Starting where he was, uh, a joke to the media. You know, the Democrats were licking their chops, they would love to have him as, as the Republican Party. C- considering all those things, and the fights he's had with not just the Democrats, the Republicans, the fact that we got a real conservative on the Supreme Court, the fact that we actually did cut taxes for individuals and businesses. The fact that we're looking at the the regulatory agencies and going, you do too much. There's too many pages of this. You know, Republicans say this stuff all the time and they never act on it. I don't remember a time when George Bush seriously said, we need to roll back regulations. It, 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 we got a little tax cut, you know. It, I would say considering what he was up against, and, and I, I probably will never in my life give someone an A plus because that means I you know I don't agree with everyone hundred percent, neither do you, right? You know, I don't even agree with my wife hundred percent. So and then she could say the same thing about me. And she's the one that walks around and says, These arguments can be broken. You know. So So when you look at what he was up against to where we are now, building on that, I would say he's done more as a as a president than you know, I, I would, I would. The hardest place to be was between Ted Cruz and Rand Paul, right? Okay, so that that didn't happen. If it was going to be a Jeb or a John Kasich or a Chris Christie, I, I think we would be looking at a milk toast, wishy washy, squishy Republican administration, and we don't have that. Even when you disagree with them, you know that that if he proposes something, even if I disagree with it, I go, he's he's serious about this, you know. Now, that was talking about the first year now previous podcast I did I didn't mention about something recently so I guess now this is going into the second year I've, I've heard your your point as far as um the whole budget deal and the infrastructure you know I definitely am not for all this infrastructure I feel like as you've mentioned that this most of this should be handled by the states and do you think that we're kind of I guess having a rocky start to the second year. Yeah, I, I do think I think that presidents see federal infrastructure as uh, you know as a win-win, right? It it is proposed as something that will create jobs and something that everybody needs and uses, right? I mean, Henry Hazlitt wrote about this stuff in the '40s, and the problem with it is is that once you put it through the sausage press of Congress and you look at all the places the money kind of has to go off like you know we rarely see a clean bill right if we if we have a bill that addresses 
whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. There's like 5,000 different writers on it having absolutely nothing to do if you call it the, the Clear Skies Act, right? And then all of a sudden you're finding out people are getting art, art grants to do clay sculptures. You're like, well, what does that have to do with Clear Skies? Well, the Clear Skies initiative includes reaching out to communities and creating art to, 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 to communicate the message, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and like, they have this like, crazy twisted logic that if we give art grants to people, they'll help promote the Clear Skies Act, and that's why we had to give them $70 million. So I, I think that happens a lot more than people recognize because it's the stuff that's buried. We vote on no child left behind, right? Ooh, we don't want to leave any child behind. And then if you actually read it, if you sit down and read a piece of federal legislation, it's actually mind-numbing. You start to pick out things that have nothing to do with the header, no child left behind. And I think that's going to happen with this. I think... Donald Trump has his mind in the right place, that if we're going to say we need infrastructure upgrades, we have to fix bridges and roads and tunnels and all that stuff, but we tried this with the stimulus package. You know, what was it? $787 billion budgeted and only $60 billion actually went to paving roads? I mean, that's less than 10% of the money. Where the hell did the other 90 plus percent go? Well, you'd have to follow Alice down the rabbit hole. Now, I'm a truck driver now, so when you talk about these roads, and one of the things that I always get brought up, well, the roads, roads are crumbling, the bridges are falling down. I'm a truck driver. I drive down these My roads. My truck driver. And I don't see any, <laughs> any of these crumbling roads. I mean, okay, when I was in Ohio, there was like a couple there. And that's probably an Ohio state road that the Ohio government should be dealing with. And that talks about Kasich, so whatever. <laughs> but as far as seeing all these different bridges and whatnot, I don't, I don't see what they're saying. It's feel like they're just using that as an excuse for federal money. Just to again, have- if there's an old bridge, right? If, if, if I live in New York and the Tappan Zee Bridge, they keep saying it's going to crumble, it's going to crumble, and maybe it will, right? We saw that bridge collapse in Minnesota. We don't want that to happen. Nobody's saying that the government shouldn't deal with infrastructure. What we're saying is you first have to ask the question, is that a federal project? If it's not, then it becomes a state project. Nobody's saying, well, for the, to, to prove our conservative bona fides, we want bridges to collapse. That's moronic, right? If you're dealing with the Eisenhower interstate system, that argument is long gone. It's there, right? So, fine. Okay. Fix it. But if you're going to tell me that the only way to fix something is to have every senator and congressman you know, bulk up these bills with things that have nothing to do with fixing that bridge and literally less than 10% of what you budget is going to go to fixing that bridge, it's obvious you don't really care about fixing that bridge. And then the next question is, where did all the toll money go? <laughs> you know, I pay 15 bucks to cross in a New York City if and when I drive into the, to the city. I try not to, even though I work there. But the, the mayor is always complaining about, well, we have to fix the tunnels, we have to fix the bridges. And I'm like, you're charging automobiles 15 bucks. I think it's $200 for a tractor trailer. Where the hell does this <laughs> night and day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, toll money go then? Yeah, you know, that is the, I don't know how many million dollar question, but that's definitely $64 million. All right, the $64 million question. You know, and talking about the bills that have like a million different things that don't even touch what the bill is talking about, it kind of made me think about some, you know, someone like Ted Cruz. So he voted for this budget. But one thing that I'm thinking about, like, yeah, you may disagree that he voted yes, but kind of like to your point, there was like all these different other things in this budget. Except for there may be 10 good things and 12 horrible things or maybe one or two horrible things in this budget to where, okay, 
you basically have to choose between one or the, one or the other. And this is how all these bills are, are basically put together to basically make it a lose-lose for someone kind of like Ted Cruz. The one, the, 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 the statement I hate, I couldn't stand it when I heard Paul Ryan say it was, well, we have to protect military families. All right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. What does that have to do with half the stuff they're asking for? You know, when you look at things that are in the Constitution, raising support and Army and Navy, that's raising support. That's in the Constitution. Post offices and post roads. I'm not even going to argue with on the post offices and post roads. But when the Democrats come along with some of these ridiculous spending initiatives, and again, they'll say, well, you don't want to educate children? Yeah, of course I do. But I don't see your role in this. Paul Ryan agreed. It's kind of like a husband and wife you have four ways to, to be. Saver, saver, spender, spender. Wait a minute. I did this with someone else before. <laughs> saver, saver, spender, spender. Um, spender, saver. Okay, three ways. Right? Spender, spender, saver, saver, spender, saver. <laughs> Whatever it is. If you have a couple that's spender, spender. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? The husband overlooks the wife's credit card bills, and the wife looks, overlooks mm-hmm. the husband's credit card bills so they can keep spending. Mm-hmm. Now, the fact that they're plunging themselves into bankruptcy is, is, you know, that's what's happening, but they're, they're ignoring, they're, they're, the Republicans have been doing this for so long, letting the Democrats have everything they want so they can get what they want. But the difference is, if you have a, one family member who says, well, I'm spending on heating the house, you know, I'm spending on replacing the roof. And the other person's like, well, I'm going to get a new pair of shoes. Well, do we need a new pair of shoes or do we need a roof? So if we can't if we're going to jettison reason and say, well, everything has to go in so everybody's happy. Well, that's not creative statesmanship. That just means we're paying for a bunch of crap that you guys agreed upon. Yeah, because one thing I was that I mentioned before is that it's not the fact that you have Democrats who love to spend and Republicans don't want to spend. Well, they not, do want to. They, but both, they, yeah, right. they, devote, they both like to spend. It's just it's that spender, they, spender. Yeah, it's where they want to spend it. So Democrats want to spend on this and Republicans want to spend on that. Unfortunately, There's plenty of stupid Republican yeah. spending proposals. Don't, 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 you know, <laughs> I'm not going to give them a free pass on this, but if Trump, if you're at the, the question originally was about no. Trump, I think he genuinely is looking at this and saying, okay, we need to have an initial $200 billion from government with a $1.5 trillion with public-private partnerships and all this stuff. He, he's trying to mitigate, perhaps, the, the taxpayer's initial investment. I, I would say that, you know, if you look at those public-private partnerships, they can be just as costly to taxpayers. You know, if you're doing bonds and all kinds of things and they don't pay off, you still got to pay them. Um, but I think he's trying to mitigate these things better than Obama did. I, but I still... I still at my at the end of the day know that this all sounds good up front. We 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 are you know, so we we like President Trump. Sometimes we have to disagree with him. I don't think it's going to go the way he thinks it's going to go. That's just my opinion. Well, it's not like he didn't mention these things in the campaign. I know some people kind of feel like it was like, like a shock to have this budget deal to go through or to, or to hear about this uh, infrastructure. But I'm like, he, he mentioned this during the campaign. He, it is, it's not like this is, should be new to anyone because he mentioned about wanting to, yeah, you know. Have you ever heard a presidential candidate doesn't talk about infrastructure? No. I mean, they, they all do. You know, they, they, and they all say the same thing. It's, it, it's like when some, they all say that we got to create jobs. we got to create jobs. Well, what does that have to do with government spending? If government spending is creating jobs, then the jobs depend on government spending. But they all talk about infrastructure, every single one of them. I mean, you can go back and look, you know, at the, at the, um, what was the they call it the IST, I think it was, the Intermodal System Transportation. It was the one on George H.W. Bush. And then oh, okay. and Bill Clinton had the next T. It was, and it was like new infrastructure. I, I don't remember yeah, what they all said. Yeah. You look them up. Yeah. But this has been, this has been the, executive branch negotiating point 
for since Eisenhower, right? You know, roads roads seemingly create jobs, right? And politicians get to take credit for the jobs, and people get the jobs like. Yay, politician, I got a job, you know. So it's been something that's been used to sort of calm the waters between presidents and congresses for a long time. Now, I guess with the tragedy that happened in Florida, has maybe kind of taken a lot, you know, some of the attention away from it. Now, you've had, a, you know, a number of things. You had this town hall that happened last night with CNN. But um, it seems like with every tragedy... We, we always get this call for gun control, and it's just a continual thing where they just can't get enough of trying to take away our Second Amendment rights. Hey, you know, it's funny. It's called absolute moral authority. So you have these these two high school students. You know, they are the they are the official spokespeople for this movement, and their credibility is based on the fact that they, that they were directly related to the shooting. When Jamil Shaw Jr. was murdered by an illegal immigrant, was Jamil Shaw Sr. given absolute moral authority? Was he, was he the unquestionable figure? No. When Kate Steinle was murdered, were the Steinleys given that same level of unquestionable platforming? No. So it's, 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 it's a device and a creation of the media. They say this person, is the issue is personified in them, and if you disagree with what they're saying, you're a horrible person. Don't you see the suffering person? But Jamil Shaw was a kid. You know, you want to know who he was? If you if you go read about him, he was the older brother from Boys in the Hood. He was a high school football player. He was in South Central LA. He was on. He had a. I think he had a college scholarship in hand. And an illegal immigrant murdered him in a gang initiation. And his father has been shunned from the media. You know why is that? Why is he not given the exact same? Platform to speak about what happened to his son and the need to secure the border. Why? Well, because it doesn't fit the narrative. And if they gave him absolute moral authority, and I've actually interviewed him, he would tell you that if it weren't for an open border, his son would be alive today. If we could just save one life, that kind of thing. So we create these, we create this, and then it shuts down debate. You know, I understand if you, I can, I can sympathize with the sense of loss and anger, and the wanting to the yearning to do something about it but that's part of what it means to do what we do is to say okay we have to have a sober debate on these things and I was on an RITV earlier they said you know when you get past all of this when the emotions die down some politician's going to you know write a law and that's going to be the law and if it's born out of this you know this moment where we don't talk about it because we're upsetting these people who are on TV we find ourselves with a new law that five years from now we're going to go, how the hell did we get this new law? Yeah, I know um, also we had you know, President Trump gets put in a memorandum about, you know, basically about bump stocks or basically anything that turns a, I guess in the words, like turn a legal weapon into an illegal weapon. Now, I didn't... Did you ever uh, hear of a bump stock before Las Vegas? No. Okay. I, I, I have never heard of it. I've had guns my entire life. I'm an NRA member. I'm friends with the, I'm friends with the upper echelon of the NRA. 90% of gun owners never heard of this thing. You know? So we're, we're having this, we're, we're being forced to defend something that we didn't even know existed. Fine. If, if, if you want to ban something, and I've already pointed out, it doesn't actually modify the gun. You know, the gun being defined by the upper, lower receiver, trigger mechanism, all that stuff. You know, it, it doesn't really do that. 
what it does do, and I remember the Hellfire kits of the 90s, is make the gun really inaccurate, you know, which is probably why most people would never put one on their gun because you pull back on that thing and it's going to start rattling. If we're going to ban the bump stock, we're going to do it because it's, it's not something that law-abiding shooters would even want to have because it's not really a good piece of equipment. But at the same time, if we ban it, 3D printing is here. You know, people are people. You're talking about two springs that that you know latch onto the back of a of a of a broken, essentially a cut slashed stock. Mm-hmm. That those springs, when you pull the trigger, sends the gun back and forth, back and forth, and the guns fire. So banning it, if you're going to do it, it's not going to do anything because people can make these things, and if they're going to kill people with things that are already illegal, guess what? They're not concerned about that. It's like the gun-free zone. Well, I was going to kill a whole bunch of people, but the sign says gun-free zone. I guess I'll go home. It's just the, the classic thought that if someone's going to commit any sort of crime, they're going to commit it. And you writing a law about it is not going to stop them. Make kidnapping illegal. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Make kidnapping illegal. Nobody will take anybody's child. And, and then we have, that's what, well, we have magically now have an amber alert. Well, we made kidnapping illegal, and now we have an Amber Alert. So clearly, and I'm not saying we should legalize kidnapping. <laughs> I'm just saying that the law that we agree to abide by only matters if we agree to abide by it. I don't want anyone taking that the wrong way. I'm just saying that if people followed the law, we wouldn't need an Amber Alert. Yeah. So uh, I can talk all night about different things with you, but like I said, I appreciate talking with you. You don't want to put me on to Atlas Shrug. Put me on to Thomas Soul, put me on to Walter Williams, all of those. I'll just tell you this: I, I I get rarely intimidated in an interview. I interviewed Thomas Soul, and I I would say I was intellectually intimidated. I mean, that guy is when he unfortunately departs, you know, for you know a, a greater above. We are going to be missing one of our most important thinkers. I don't say intellectual; I say thinker. Because Thomas Sowell is inspired an entire generation of thinkers, and greatly unappreciated. That's to me, I mean, I feel like he should be just as hailed as all these other you know great thinkers. But no one wants to really give him you know. Have you ever tried to read most most people can't read intellectuals in society. The book is you know like it's like it's like four Bibles thick. You know, it's 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 a hard book to read. You know. <laughs> Basic economics, and um, yeah. I mean, I try to go through as many, many as possible. I know you mentioned um, Hazlitt as well. I know I'm just, I'm going through um, economics in one in one. That's lesson. easy to read. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I like that one, but that's easy to read. But that's the one I'm going through, so I don't. Um, I'm just I just started with Hazlitt from you mentioning <laughs> mentioned some of his books, so so I'm just starting to read some of those. So anyway, I appreciate so much for your time, and at next CPAC, if you're here, I'm probably going to talk to you again. Okay. All right. Thanks to everyone to joining us and thanks to Andrew. And until next week, we'll chat with you later. Want to hear some inside scoop? If your kids are as ready to go back to school as mine are, you got to check out Kohl's. I got my daughters the cutest sew tops for under 18 bucks, Jansport backpacks for 25% off, and 30% off Levi's jeans for me. I even saved an extra 15% and picked up Kohl's cash. So, yeah, not sure who's more excited right now, me or the girls. Select styles. 15% off friends August 15th. Levi's coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store Kohl's account for details. Minute Maid slushies are back at McDonald's. And if you'd like to thank me for that information, I'll gladly take a slushie. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink. 
Right now, treat yourself to a small Minute Maid slushie, like the new strawberry watermelon flavor for $1.59. Or try small McCafe frappes and smoothies for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Limited time only. Minute Maid is a trademark of the Coca-Cola Company.